My guest today is Jeff Martinez. Jeff is the Associate Director of Sales for Ramsey Education and has been at Ramsey Solutions for eight plus years now and is well respected at Ramsey Solutions. He's good friends with my previous guest, Michael Reddish, and of course is part of the fraternity, the Soggy Bourbon Boys. Jeff opens up on his story today of how he grew up as a pastor's kid and how he uses performing arts to connect with others and of course why he loves cigars. If you're new to the podcast, I found that some of the best ways to have conversations is over cigars, cider, or coffee. And I'm continuing the theme of conversations over cigars today with my good friend Jeff Martinez. And on a side note, I encourage you to check out the previous conversation I had with Michael Reddish because that will bleed into today's conversation today. Jeff and I had a rich and deep conversation and even a few tears were shed. Today's podcast is one that I will never forget. My name is Noah Corston, and welcome to the Four Seas Podcast. I just, I listened to the last one with my good friend, Michael Reddish, and I was like, oh, that's fun format. I just like, I like what you're doing. You're just having conversations. Yeah. I think for you as a younger man, I'm older. (laughs) I'm not that old. I'm 45. But I think it's cool that you're kind of, this is also a way for you to like grow as a man. Yeah. I think that's cool. I appreciate that. Thank you. One of the best things that I've ever done is like some of the best conversations. Sometimes I will even go so far. Depends on the audience. I'm a pastor's kid, so I have to be careful. <laughs> but like uh, I'll say some of the best conver- some of the best church I've had is over a cigar and bourbon. Wow. I mean, cuz really it gets real. I love that. Yeah, like my best friends on the planet who co- uh, coincidentally all live here now, which is weird. Like I moved here in 2015 and now like I had a poker night the other night and I was like, I look around the table and I was like, we used to do this in college like 25 years ago. What are you, t- how did this happen? And we're in Tennessee, like what the heck? So God is good in that way. But like, it's always over a good cigar, a deep conversation. Yes. Of course, some brown water. Can't beat the brown water. Brown, you can't beat the brown water. And I'm, I'm learning the ways the, the brown water. I'm yeah, sure we'll talk about some soggy bourbon. Yeah, absolutely. Soggy bourbon boys. Those are my boys. But uh, I came from California. Originally, I was born and raised in California. And wine is sort of the thing in California. Right. So you know your wine too. I do. I, I like because you learn it. Like you're like, I want it. Like so, you go to wine country, and then in Southern Cal. So I grew up in Northern California, yeah. and of course Napa is right there. Like I grew up in San Jose. Go Niners! I'll talk about the Niners a lot. I love the 49ers. I was born a 49er fan, probably came out of the womb with the jersey on. <laughs> Most likely it was Montana's. We're going to have to watch a football game together. It's oh, it's intense here. <laughs> it is intense because my son, he is like my clone when it comes to that. And then and then you factor in my brother-in-law, Jason, and then my dad, who's the old school. And now he's so old, he just kind of sits there and goes like, uh. you know. But like I learned from him because I remember when I was a kid, he was like, ah. And so now, like, ah, and Anthony's like, ah, like ripping his face off, you know. And then Jason is like me, like, he's around my age, he's just five years older than me. But, like, you know, we, when we watch a Niners game, it's like, I mean, it is an every Sunday or Thursday or whatever Sunday night or Monday, like, it is an event for our family. It is like our family dinner. We build everything around it. I like, love this. like, even my wife Clara will be like, um, 
Is there a Niners game on Sunday? <laughs> yeah. What time is the Niners game? Claire is not into it as much. No, 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 no. no that's not true. <laughs> we went to the we went to breakfast. So this past Sunday, we'd had a super busy weekend. Um, I'll talk about that in a minute because I do a ton of side things. But uh, we decided we're going to skip church this week. We usually go to church every Sunday. We're really good about that. You're in Tennessee. How dare you? I know, right? <laughs> so we ended up like we told the kids like, hey, let's go to breakfast. So we went to breakfast and we went separately because we were going to go to the grocery store after breakfast. And the kids walk in. Clara is wearing her 49er shirt. I'm wearing my 49er shirt. Yeah. Clara... Uh, Ella, my daughter, who's 16, is wearing her 49ers shirt. And then Anthony, of course, the, fa- the fanatic, knows every detail of the 49ers. He can tell you every stat, every player, where they went to college, who they're dating, everything. He's wearing his- So we're sitting in this, you know, this little breakfast nook here in Spring Hill uh, having breakfast. And we're all in this 49ers gear. And we're like, boy, if anybody wondered where we're from. <laughs> we just told them. California. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I did come from California uh, almost nine years ago. April will be nine years wow. that we've lived here. That's Crazy. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's probably flown by. I've only been here almost two years. Yeah, it goes by. fast. Oh my gosh, yeah. And for me, Tennessee is home. Like I love Tennessee. Like I didn't know of it. I had never been here until my final interview when they flew me out in February of 2015. Um, I work for Ramsey. Of course. Disclaimer. Yeah, just so you know. <laughs> and uh, that's why we moved here to work for, for the Ramsey Company. And um, flew out in February of 2015. Uh, got stuck here because they had one of the worst ice storms they have ever had. Oh and it ended up being so bad that they shut down the airport for like a whole day. Oh my so my God. interviews were on a Monday. And then... Uh, all the flights were canceled Monday night, Tuesday, all the way through Tuesday. So we were stuck. You know that Drury off McEwen? Yes. We were stuck there for two days. Oh it was gosh. horrible. It was just horrible. Yeah. But Ramsey was great, and they took care of us. And But you can even get a pizza. So we were – so I don't know if you know Drury, but Drury, like, they do free breakfast, and then they yeah. do, like, a um, – it's it's the big hotel, the cool spring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then they like a dinner, which is like a snack. Um, but it's like hot dogs and not, it's nothing good. But I was like, this food. So, but it was cool because we really were able to kind of sit back and think about the decision to move away from California. Yeah. My wife Claire is from Orange County, California, a little town called Yorba Linda, home of Richard Nixon. If anybody's okay. Fun fact. We had our wedding photos taken at the Nixon Library, which is not far from her house. That's pretty cool. Um, She had never lived more than 30 minutes from her folks. And so for me, I left San Jose at 18, moved down to L.A. to go to college. That's where we met. And for me, moving didn't feel as impactful because my parents were willing to fly to Tennessee. It's the flight is about the same amount of time it takes to drive to San Jose from L.A. It's like a five-hour drive up the five. Because um, in L.A. we put a the in front of all the freeways. In it, But the weird thing in Northern California, where I grew up, San Francisco, Bay Area, we just called it like 280. But then the moment you go into Southern California, it's like the 210. <laughs> sure. The 101. I don't know why. So, um, yeah, it was a big decision. But that day that we were stuck here in the ice storm, uh gave Claire and I a chance and I have this I should show you come by my desk sometime I have this journal on my desk that I just keep with me because it's sort of like my Ebenezer stone if I may Um, there's a page in there I'm an emotional guy so 
No, this is good. There's a page in there where Claire and I wrote down like pros, cons, and all the pros got crossed out because we realized it was all just fear and there was no actual like con. Sure, not being near family was tough, but we live in a modern world where family can be here on a flight in a couple of hours and we could be home in a couple of hours if someone got sick. Um, You know, but the pros were like, just connecting as a family of four, getting financially free. Mm. I'm emotional because I'm sitting on the porch of a home that we dreamed of. And it was not plausible in California to actually own a home like this. Like we lived, I told you earlier, like we lived in a 1500 square foot condo with shared walls, not in the best part of town. Our kids had two cement slabs to play on. They didn't know any better. It was their home. They loved it. But, like, when we pulled up here in 2018 to buy this house, like, I was like, this can't be real, you know. And it was the original owners. The guy was, like, uber OCD. Like, he, my neighbor tells me that he used to, like, scrub the driveway with a toothbrush. Like, he was a weirdo. But I'm really grateful because the house is, like, triple insulated, like, I guess he had, I think he had MS or something. So he was super worried about like germs and all that. Yeah. So the house is like, like it always is like perfectly 70 degrees. I don't even have to worry about thermostat usually like super insulated. It's all brick. It's wonderful. But like, this is our dream house. And like, we wrote that on this beautiful house. Yeah. And then we wrote, um, kids growing up in a Christian environment. I mean, Tennessee, um, you know, uh, I wrote literally, God, I wish I had brought it children's theater company and we work with a children's theater company here in tennessee like it's like god just answered every one of those like pros and kind of desires that we wrote down so that weird horrible ice storm that kept us in tennessee for an extra day was such an important day for for me and my bride to be like okay let's really think about this instead of just like going for the interview, go back to the hotel, get up early, go back to the airport, fly back to California, whatever. So, yeah, it was such a it was such an amazing thing. And then the, and then on the Wednesday, uh, when we finally got a flight out, it wasn't until the afternoon, so they picked it our, our car was literally frozen. We parked in like an angled spot and our car was frozen, our rental car, so I couldn't move the car because it was still ice like on the wheels. It was it was absurd. So they picked us up and brought us back to Ramsey Solutions headquarters, which used to be over there off Mallory. And um, we were just hanging out, and they brought in lunch, which is awesome. And then at one point, uh, the admin at the time, she came in and she was like, hey, we're going to go down and pray before the show with Dave. I didn't really really comprehend. I was like, whatever you say. Like, (laughs) Yeah, just going along with it. I'm still interviewing, I think. (laughs) And so we go downstairs, and have you ever been to the old building? I've been by it. I've never been in it. So I, I wish I was. So Dave's office was right across from the studio over there. Wow. And so um, we go back behind like a fob wall because the lobby was there where, you know, the public would come in. And we're just standing by this door. And all of a sudden, Dave Ramsey pops out. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I was like, oh, it's Dave. <laughs> like I hadn't, I hadn't met him yet. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And he goes, because, again, we were – the company was only, like, 450 people at the time when I when I was applying. Only. Only 450. I know. <laughs> it, but, I mean, it was – because now we're 1,000 plus. So, But still, like, it was – Dave knew everybody. Like, Dave used to have flashcards 
when new people would come on, so he would learn their name. Like we even had a, there was one point where Dave bought this game that that IT integrated into like our system. So we would go on and test and he and we would get scores. It was so kooky. Cause Dave was like, we should all know each other. Like he just wanted to keep that small town feel. And Dave looks at me and he's like, who are you? <laughs> Like, you know, very blunt, like Dave. And I go, oh, my name is Jeff. This is my wife, Clara. Like, we were interviewing, got stuck in the ice storm, and he's like, I heard about you. I hope we've been good to you. And then he prayed, because he does it every day before the show. Yeah. He always prays, like he's been doing it for 30 years, praying before the show. And essentially his prayer is like, let my words be yours, Lord. Like, let what I say and the questions I answer and the, the advice I give be from you, not from me. And then at the very end, he goes, and I pray for my friends here. I pray that they get a safe trip home and that they make the right decision about potentially coming here to work for Ramsey Solutions. And I was like, what the heck? Like, who is this guy? Like, he's a real deal. And that was probably the moment that I, I mean, we had made the decision we were going to move here for the job. But like that moment when I saw Dave be the real guy that he claims to be, because so often you see Christian leaders they're one way on stage, and then you hear the horror stories backstage, right? Yeah. Backstage, Dave was Dave. Same, I mean, a little, little more elevated on the radio, of course. Yeah. But like the Dave that you hear about, that you think he is, he's that guy. And so for me, it was an easy decision. So we went back to LA. Very de- easy decision. Very hard for Claire's family. Um, my family was you know, supportive. It was hard for them too, because we were going to be really far and they didn't, they were just worried. Like you're moving to this place. You don't know anybody in Tennessee. And, uh, we get here and uh, there's so many stories about us moving here. Like, no, this is good. What a way to start off a podcast. I'm not even a question. I know there's so many God moments. Like our, our house sold in a 21 day escrow, which is like unheard of. But the 21 days was exactly to the day that we needed to move out before we left. Like, it was like just the weirdest stuff. We we had a friend who knew somebody who lived in Thompson Station who had a 3,000-square-foot basement that was fully furnished with a kitchen, two bedrooms, bath, living room, private entrance. And they were like, yeah, we'll, we'll let you live there for as long as you need for $700 a month. And we were like, score. I was like, I'm paying like $3,000 a month for my 1,500 square foot condo in LA. I was like, gah. So it was just so God that we moved here. So anyway, anyway, that's a longer story. I could tell you for sharing. No, that, what a way to kick off this podcast. I didn't know you had another question. I thought you did. No, that that was, you know, it's funny. Like sometimes I ask more of like a, more of a fun question to start off the podcast, but. Thanks for starting off that way. That's a great way to start off. And you're we we are at your house. Yeah, it's we're a on beautiful the place on the porch. Sunset. You're my second guest in a row with uh, a cigar. So you and, and Radish bourbon. are good buddies. And bourbon. <laughs> yeah. You know, as I know when when I had Radish on, he was like, Can we have an honorary seat with corn with with the bourbon? So I was like, Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> so, corn is in the whiskey. That's you're right. Have. And you know, you're setting the stage this this Beautiful sunset. This is my favorite place to sit in the fall and the spring and sometimes in the winter when I bundle up. This guy helps. Yeah. So. Got, a, got a little heater behind got us a heater, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Jeff. And um, I know the first time I met you, I don't know if you remember this, it was actually a cigar night. Yeah. I Reddish helped, helped start and I got to get to know you from Dane who you had lunch with. Yeah. He's one of, one of my co, co, co-members at Entree Leadership and he's great. Yeah. So. I love Dane because um, 
he has this great story about somebody was asking about me and he couldn't remember my name. And the funny thing about Dane is that everybody always forgets his name. They call him like uh, Dirk or something else, you know, just something. We call him Dale. Dale. Yeah. But like people do call him like people that don't know him as well. And so I always made fun of him and I'd call him like Dirk or Dale or whatever, Daryl. And he forgot my name. So now every time we see each other, anytime we see each other, I'll say like, what's up? Dude, and he'll go, like, hey, Jake, you know, whatever. Like, even on the calendar invite for our lunch today, he said, lunch with the fabulous Jake Martinez. So it's like, it's our lunch. That's hilarious. I love it. I love it. Well, one thing I do know about you, which I mean, this podcast is oriented, is you are your community builder in so many areas. And I mean, when I sent you the podcast with Reddish, you're like, hey, I'll be on if you want. I was like, without hesitation, I wanted you on because. That's who you are, you know. You 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 are a connector, and so even 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 it says it says it on your LinkedIn too. Oh, so okay. and, and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it's just it, I I told you before we started. Like my dad's a pastor, and my grandfather was a pastor. So for me, I grew up kind of with this idea that my we would go, we would be in San Antonio, Texas, for something, and my dad would be walking down the street. And someone would be like, John, or his nickname was Pinky. So they'd be like, Pinky. Because <laughs> when he was a kid. That's hilarious. I as a kid, it. he was real white-skinned. He's Mexican. I'm, yeah. I'm Hispanic if you hadn't figured out my last name. Although Dave calls me, Dave Ramsey calls me Martinez, which is <laughs> southernizing my name. But anyway, but like my dad is, I mean, he's Mexican. He's, he's half Mexican, half Spanish. My mother, full-blooded Spanish. Um, so I'm mostly Spanish. So I have a lighter skin, but my dad was white and he had red hair. So they used to call him Pinky when he was a kid. But we'd be walking, I mean, we'd be anywhere. We'd be at like a Lowe's, uh, there was no Lowe's, let's say a Home Depot, like yeah. across town from where we lived. And someone would be Pinky, because he's Hispanic, so you hear a little accent. And my dad would be like, oh, and he's like, oh, yeah, this guy. And so <laughs> I think I just grew up like always going, like, my dad knows everybody. Uh, but then I would see the other side of that, where my dad would walk up to a stranger and be like, how are you, friend? And they'd be like, who are you? And my dad would be like, oh, my name's John. I'm a pastor. Like, uh, how are you? Like, how's your, how are you doing today? And my dad had us, he would really, he tuned into the Holy Spirit and just had this sense of like, that guy needs something today. My grandpa was the same way. There's this great story about my grandfather. Uh, they lived in Greeley, Colorado, which is, you know where that is because you're from Colorado. Yeah, I do. Um, but my grandfather <laughs> pastored a church in Cheyenne. Um, so every Sunday morning they get up super Go early. Go to Wyoming. Yeah. They get up super early and drive to Cheyenne. My grandpa would preach. And it uh, Hispanic churches, Mexican churches are like black churches. Church starts, but it, there's no end time. It's just like, you know, we just keep going. We keep yeah. preaching and singing and whatever. So it's very similar. And uh, so they'd be they'd be heading home on 2, 3 o'clock. Um, and this one Sunday, uh, my grandpa saw these uh, migrant workers working in the potato fields on the way back from Cheyenne he pulls over the car and my grandmother's like David like in Spanish I can't do it but he's like David what are you doing and he's like oh just wait a second and he walked out in the middle of the field my dad tells the story so well but he said like 10 minutes later he looked out on the field and he had all those workers on their knees giving their heart to the to the Lord mm-hmm. and, and, and and then, then to top it off my father invited them to dinner and he said it was like the fishes and loaves. Like my grandmother was very worried, like they're not gonna have enough food. But they ca- all these guys came, and there was enough food for everybody. And they saw Jesus that day, 
And so my grandpa, you know, showed that to my dad. And then my dad was that same way in his own time, in his own generation, his own place. And so in a lot of ways, like I always try to connect with people and, Mm. and And try to go, like the other day I got in the elevator and there was a bunch of new team members and I was like, Hey, like I turned around. So I was like on the stage, of course, <laughs> presenting to them. I was like, Hey guys, welcome to the team. I was like, where are y'all from? And I was like, uh, 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 and two were in California. I was like, Oh, that's great. We're in California, Simi Valley. Oh, that's awesome. Where are you in California? Oh, like South of LA. And I was like, well, like where? Or East of LA. And I was like, where? I'm, I'm from there. She goes, Pomona. I was like, I was from Azusa. They're like right here. And she's like, Oh my God, we were neighbors. And just in that moment, she feels a little more connected to mm-hmm. Ramsey Solutions. She feels seen. Right? She may have moved her whole family from Pomona, which I understand. But in that moment, somebody kind of knows her, yeah. right? Somebody kind of understands where she's from, has a familiarity with where she has to go to get groceries, how she gets to a Dodgers game. You know, when it's time to go to the beach, which direction she has to go. Somebody understands that. And that makes her feel known. Mm. And that's that's, ultimately it's rapport, right? As a sales leader at Ramsey, we talk a lot about rapport and how important it is to have rapport. Right. And when I'm training new team members, I will tell them, like, rapport, in my opinion, and there's lots of opinions about the most important part of a sales call, those real like hearty Josh Britt esque, you should have him on the podcast. Josh <laughs> Britt guys are like the sales, the most important part of the call. And he loves rapport, but like I think rapport is what actually gets you to the sale. It's trying to find something that connects the two of you. When I met you the first time, Colorado was my hook. Hmm. I connected with you on Colorado. I told you I had family in Greeley. Yeah. I told you I had a lot of Bronco fans as family. Um, and that instantly made you feel known. It made you feel like, oh, this guy kind of understands where I come from. Like, he gets me a little bit. That's cool. Um, You know, so finding those, I call them hooks. They're very, they're very shallow hooks. You don't got the fish in the full gill, you know, where the whole face is going to rip off when you take off the, it's just a little hook. And all it does is it goes like this deep, like just barely into the skin of somebody that they start to go, Okay, let's talk. Can breathe a little yeah. bit. And then all of a sudden they forget it's a sales call. The best compliment I ever got from uh, one of my clients when I was, so when I started at uh, Ramsey, I started selling financial peace yeah. and all, all the things, financial peace, smart money, smart kids, all the things we don't sell anymore, generation change, <laughs> uh, legacy journey, like all yes. the things, right? Okay. So I sold all those classes. Uh, one of my clients, he, uh, my leader at the time was just spot checking on all the sales advisors and saying, uh, let's just call one of their clients and just interview them and see what's, what, what, what's this guy doing? Well, you know, Mm -hmm. why do you keep buying from us? And he said, whenever I see Jeff call, I pick up the phone, even though I know he's trying to sell me something, I really enjoy talking to Jeff. That's awesome. And that's only because I cared and I got to know the guy. I asked about his family. I remembered things. Right. Yeah. Um, so I have a good friend. He just shared with me that his father found out he has uh, stomach cancer. Hmm. I mean, he's one of my closest friends, so I won't forget. But, like, remembering that kind of thing, even for someone you don't know that well, that, like, their mom is struggling with something or, you know, they had someone pass away in their family or him and his wife had a miscarriage. Like, that is uber important to remember 
because those are the things that you can come back to and be like, hey, how's your sister? How's how are you guys doing? How's you and your wife? You know, and uh, it just adds value to a relationship. And so I've been called the Kevin Bacon. I've heard this. I wanted to ask you about uh, go it. Go ahead. Ask. What do you want to ask? I, I mean, I, Please, I want to hear more about it because it's so like so. You know the whole thing. Six degrees of Kevin. Bacon, <laughs> yeah, right? six degrees of Kevin Bacon. So six degrees of Jeff Martinez. I, I guess so. at Ramsey, it feels it feels very narcissistic See, I, for me to say that. But whatever. <laughs> this is part of the reason I love doing this podcast, and I'm not even trying to have any Ramsey personalities. I think there's so many fascinating people yeah, at Ramsey. There's a lot of cool people. You clearly are one of these people, but. There's always like six degrees yeah. of Jeff Fort. It, it's it's because it, one of my one of my coworkers, Ryan, Ryan Davis, he's one of the sales leaders on Ramsey Education where I work currently. He's like he's like, Okay, you met some from California, which is the largest state in the union and has the most people. And somehow you guys know the same person. And I was like I was like, You stop it. You know that I dig. And he's like, No, you do, you do. I you know, it's just this thing of like it's being curious. We talk about that, right? Calm, curious. What was the other one? I, I should confident. Know. Confident. Thank you. Yeah. I'm a sales leader. I should know that. <laughs> Calm, confident, curious. But the curious is the one. If you're curious about people, if you care about where they came from, are you married? Are you dating? Uh, where do you live? How did you get here? Did you live here before you started working here? Or have you been in Tennessee your whole life? Um, oh, no, you came from Kentucky. Where in Kentucky? Have I ever been to that city in Kentucky? Why not use your life as like a tool to get to know people? Why not? Like, have you ever been to Florida? Oh yeah, I've been to Florida. Okay, okay. where? Oh, my uh, my parents are, are my, not my parents, my grandparents are in Fort Myers. Okay, there you go. So oh, if you meet somebody, connection. if you meet somebody and they're like, oh yeah, I was born and raised in Fort Myers. You're like, oh my gosh, my grandparents live there. And if you even know like where the local grocery store is, in the on the main drag, probably public. Yeah, on the main drag in, in Fort Myers, you're like, oh yeah, that Publix over there off, whatever Main Street. For that person, they feel known. So it's all about letting people feel known, letting them feel like, walk into my front door, let's sit down and have dinner. But you're not doing that. You're just having a conversation. Right. So it's really big. At Summit this past year. Um, there was this crazy woman. Love her. She's but she's she's kooky as all get out. She's the whistling lady. Oh yeah. So we get some characters. Yeah, we get some characters. I love her. She's so sweet. If she's listening. You're amazing, and I wish you the best. But like uh, Bonnie, our marketer on Ramsey Ed, she's like Jeff. You got it because Bonnie knows I love a good story. She's like Jeff. You got to hear his story, and she said, uh, Bonnie said, guess guess what? She's a holds a world record in. And I was like, huh. And I looked at her and she just had, her lips were very prominent. They weren't like massive, but there was something about her mouth. And I go, whistling? And she felt like I had told her that she won a trillion dollars. Wow. Because I don't, I don't know how I did it. I don't know. I was like, you know. <laughs> but like I, she, she's a whistler and she's like a world record whistler. And I'm good friends with Joe Levitt, who also works at Ramsey. And uh, he was the host. Great host. Great host. Summit. Great host. And he's a friend. I mean, he's a, he's, a, he's a genuine friend. And I texted him and I said, bro, you have the world record whistler in the room. 
And then he ended up using, utilizing wow. it in, a, in like a moment where they were trying to do another bit and it, the guy wasn't in the room. So they were like, let's get the whistler up here. And it was weird, but whatever. <laughs> but like those, just paying attention and those moments. caring about what's important to the person you're talking to. Mm. What's important to you? A few months ago, you were getting married. Yeah, and so I remember memory. asking you a couple of times, like, hey, wedding's coming up. Like, we, for some reason, we always see each other in the bathroom, which is it's weird. true. Because we're, we're on the same floor. We're on the same floor. So really, the Opposite only common space is our bathroom. <laughs> yeah, right. But I remember asking you about your wedding. And then I remember one time I asked you, like, oh, yeah, it was like three weeks ago. And I was like, oh, my gosh, congratulations. But, like, for you, that probably felt like, wow, that's so cool that this guy remembers. Yeah. I don't even know this guy. I don't even know what his wife and kids look like. But, like, he remembers that I got married. You're a warm person, Jeff. I'm warm. And, and you're very. And I, th- I think that's what I really appreciate, not only about you, but just that's your reputation. Yeah. As we like to say at Ramsey, your personal brand. Yeah, it's my brand. <laughs> Which is great, too, though. It's also social butterfly. People are like, oh. Like, <laughs> literally, hi, hi. Well, like, you know, literally people will be the like, disc. like, somebody will be assessment. like, Michael. Who Michael is like uh, the older brother I never had, and I always say I'm like the older brother you never want. So he's like I I love you, although but Michael always gives me a hard time. He's like, let me guess, you went to college with him and you lived in that room in that window because I always have a story to tell. Like when we go to Cal- we used to go to California for these Catalyst events, yeah. which is a church event. Because right. Michael used to be on the church. We talked about it a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to be on the church team together. And so we'd go to events, and I was like, you guys see that window right there? I lived with, you know, somebody absurd. And he was just like, and Michael's the best eye roller of all. His eye rolls, I will ask him, like, please roll your eyes at me right now. And they're like, like a sunset. So, yeah. But, like, I just, yeah, I just, I feel like getting to know people and caring about them in the moment, it's so valuable. It pays out in dividends. Oh, the guy that spoke at Devo this morning, like when he talked about making eye contact, like, I mean, that's important, but like remembering something about someone, I'm really bad with names, horrible, which is so funny. Like I'm a super, but that's because I'm a social butterfly. So I meet like a thousand people in a night. So how can I remember everybody's names? But I'll remember your story. I'll remember something about your story. And that is almost more valuable than remembering your name. appreciate that i'd love to circle back for a second i know one something that has shaped you that you talked about um is being a pk being a pastor's kid and i mean i i grew up in the ministry i I was in ministry before i was here i've i've seen the good things of what comes out of being a pk to, to the negative um how how has that shaped you both and I, this isn't even the question. So this is why I love podcasting right here. Is, I mean, for what? How has that shaped you both positively and negatively over the years, and, and just to who you are today? So I'm a very transparent guy. So I'll always start with the negative, because I think what turned me on to Dave Ramsey. I remember being very reluctant because we were in a mess financially when we found Dave. Really? Yeah, I was 30. We were about to be foreclosed on. Our marriage was hanging on by a thread. Um, I had effed up our finances beyond belief. Um, It was my fault. I mean, it was mostly me. And, you know, Clara and I just weren't communicating about money. It had always been a a point of contention. Mm. But I remember sitting in the back of that classroom, arms crossed, not wanting to listen. 
the FPU classroom, right? Uh, yeah, FPU, financial piece. And Dave starts telling the story about standing in the shower with the water so hot he could barely stand it and crying. And I was like, oh, my God, I just did that this morning. <laughs> like, I'm like, you get me, dude. Like, you get me. And it was that transparency that mm-hmm. Dave doesn't go get out of debt, be a millionaire like me. That's not what he says. He says, I effed up royally. And I was at the bottom of the barrel. If you ever come visit Ramsey Solutions, for people that are listening, in our lobby is literally the bankruptcy letter. You have to have so much humility to put that bankruptcy letter on the wall of your headquarters. When you're telling people how to get out of debt and do better with money, you're putting your bankruptcy letter up? As Dave would say, why would you take a shop class from a teacher without fingers, right? That means he's not very good at what he does. But Dave is so humble to share that. So I am super transparent. So the hardest part, coming back around, I'm good at this. I do tangents. Lots of tributaries on this river. Um, It's a good journey. You have to have a good kayak. Anyway, (laughs) uh, and I will never be in a kayak ever. I'm not adventurous, which Michael makes fun of me for a lot. Uh, (laughs) Growing up as a PK... My sister and I have a podcast called Recovering PK Podcast, and it came out of a conversation in her kitchen because we were talking about how some, for some reason Christians will mask all the bad. And then behind the scenes, there's all this garbage and all this toxic toxicity that is creating a really bad person on the, on, and they, they're, Happy. They're Joel Osteen, shiny and happy. But the way they treat people is not the same as their face is showing. And that comes from the church. And again, it's probably for more than just the 80s and 90s. But in the 80s and 90s, like, you know, my mom and dad may be in an argument in the car. We pull into the church parking lot and we get out of the car and we're shiny, happy people. There's no problems. But that problem was never dealt with. We never dealt with that problem. And in turn, as pastor's kids, my sister and I, in our very first episode of our podcast, we talked about, like, it feels like you're a celebrity kid, like everybody's looking at you, except the difference between a celebrity kid and a pastor's kid is a celebrity kid can screw up and become a drug addict and whatever, and they're like, oh, well, it's a celebrity kid. When you're the pastor's kid, it reflects on your parents. Yeah. And that is a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure to be perfect. Um, so that your parents' parenting isn't judged by the people who attend the church or the ministry that they run. And that was really hard, like, growing up. So by the time I got to college, uh, I was kind of done with the church. Wow. My dad went through some struggles um, when I turned 18. Uh, So right as I graduated high school, it ended up causing me not to be able to go to the college I was supposed to go to, which is God again. God is in everything. Like his fingerprints are all over it. But I was supposed to go to a different college on a scholarship for the denomination that my dad was working for. But because he had some downfalls, they took the scholarship away. Wow. And I had the worst year of my life. Worst year of my life. Worse than even the year that I almost lost my home and my marriage all in the same. Like it was, I was alone. All my friends went to college. I was completely stuck. 
by myself in San Jose. I felt like, if you've ever seen It's a Wonderful Life, I felt like George Bailey, like never being able to leave his hometown. And I just fell into a lot of like really not good things, like uh, a lot of like habitual sin. Um, And uh, ultimately though, it turned me off from the church. So the time I got to college, I was like, ah, church, whatever. The funny thing is in college, I read the book, uh, oh gosh, it's Max Lucado, Your Grace is Greater. I can't remember what it was, Grace, I have it literally inside the, the house. But it's a book about grace. And I had never understood grace in that way. And I think I really, truly gave my heart to Jesus. I'd given my heart to Jesus a thousand times before since I, I mean, literally my mom went into labor when my dad was preaching. So I was almost born on the church floor. So I've been a Christian. Literally. Yeah. So I've literally been a Christian my whole life. But like, no, no hyperbole here. Like she, like he, she waved him down and he stopped the sermon so they could go to the hospital. So like, uh, I felt like I really understood my faith. Got married to Clara. Clara was raised Catholic. Um, you know, in Catholic, you stand up, sit down, cross yourself, shake, 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 shake <laughs> go get communion, um, and very ritualistic. So she became a, a Protestant in college. And so when we started dating and got together, she was a baby Christian. And I was this old, weathered, beaten, seasoned Christian guy. And so when we first got married, like going to church was like hard for me because I just kind of saw it, it's almost like, you know, how the sausage is made. Yeah. And you're like, uh, this guy seems like I've seen that guy before. See that pastor right there? I've seen him before. Hmm. I, I, I know that guy. Like, he's not real. He's faking it. So I was very cynical. And it wasn't actually till we moved here. And COVID-19, and we couldn't go to church willingly, that I started to realize how important church was for our lives. And uh, I currently go to Grace Chapel in Leaper's Fork. And I remember my friends who, again, from California, my friends, Kayla and Andy, they moved here from California and they were like, hey, we're going, uh, apparently this church, Grace Chapel, they have like a 11 o'clock service that like no mask required. There's no distance requirement. Like you just sit next to each other and they're singing. And, and I was like, yes. And I went and I realized how important church was again. Hmm. But think about that from two, 1996 to 2020. I was on this journey of trying to understand again why church was important. And again, I said it earlier, I think some of the best church happens around the table. I love to cook. It's one of my favorite things. What do you love to cook? Everything. Everything. <laughs> I, dinner parties are like my, my jam. So like, I love my favorite thing to cook, though, if you yeah, like my favorite thing is I love to make this braised short rib recipe that I do. Oh it takes gosh. like four hours to cook. And for me, that's like the f- most blissful four hours of anything other than being in a rehearsal for theater. <laughs> yeah. So I love to cook, but I've, I've had some of the most church moments around my table with people that I love where we talk about real stuff like that to me is when I think of the church, especially the Acts church, right. Of the Bible. Like I think they just were getting together and fellowshipping wow. and, and then knowing what was going on in each other's lives and then praying about it throughout the week until they saw each other again and but I realize now the importance of the modern church. Um, I think we need to be careful of the big C church. Like it can become a factory, a corporation. Um, but yeah, so that's the and that's a long answer to your question no, of you. what's what? the negative of it. The positive of it, if I may. Yeah. 
I don't believe, and I rebuke you, Satan, as I say this, I don't believe I will ever lose my faith because I understand so deeply how important a relationship with Jesus Christ is. So he's got me not going anywhere. I don't need an, I don't need anything else. What keeps you on the rock? The truth of who he is, uh, the miracles I've seen. I haven't seen an arm regrown. I haven't seen a leper healed, but I've seen his hand over a long period of time, crockpot style, as Dave would say. I've seen God orchestrate these moments that lead to a moment where you go, and you look back and you go, oh my gosh, that was all his plan. So when you hear his plan is perfect, I go, in the moment, you're like, and I curse, well shit, this sucks. But then when you're on the end of that and you look back and you remember my dad faltering and me getting stuck in San Jose while all my friends leave for college, I would have never, I would have never met Clara or the, the men that are in my life now, my closest friends on the planet who I played poker with on Friday night, I would have never met them. They would not be a part of my life. But it wouldn't have happened if that wouldn't have happened. So you take the good with the bad. That's why it's that's that's where I get back to the rock. Take the go with the bad. It's powerful. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, thank you. That's my story. My story. <laughs> I mean, I, we're kind of doing this old school a little bit. There's no video cameras, but I, I wish people could see the the emotion in your face with this because yeah. this is real. Yeah, I, I yeah, I I'm an emotional guy naturally. Like today we were <laughs> we were in a meeting, and the video team was pitching this new video idea to us for the team I lead. And they just pitched it. And I was like, I'm done. Because <laughs> I started to cry because it was a really good pitch. Uh, but yeah, I'm an emotional guy. But I, I do, those moments in my life are very visceral. They're, they're very real. Uh, you know, they, uh, that movie, Inside Out, do you remember that, Pixar? Yeah. yeah. So that came out the year that we moved here. And we went and saw it in the movie theater here in Spring Hill with our kids. And it was all about this little girl, right? She moves from everything she knows and uh, she moves to this new town and all of her core memories are starting to fail. And I remember there was this moment where they, she, she, spoiler alert, she runs away, but then they find her and they get her back in the kind of the vestibule, if I may, the, the lobby of their home, the, the narthex, I like using all those words, of their home. And she just starts to cry because she's like, I just miss the old stuff. And Claire and I were like, <laughs> like we were like, and our kids were like, <laughs> but like core memories. I think my faith, like I think of my faith with these core memories of like, that's why it makes me emotional because there's like these like bedrock moments of life that were so important to who I am today. Right. So. Your Ebenezer is you. Ebenezer. Yeah, I love calling it an Ebenezer. Yeah, because, you know, in the Bible, they talk about those Ebenezer stones they would place 
to remember what God did. So I have these Ebenezer stones sitting in my brain that I think will be with me unless I go crazy or something when I get old, that will always be with me, that I can always reach back if my faith is ever in question, right? I can always reach back and go like, Give you, and for our listeners, like, uh, there's a song that comes to mind. I'm not sure if you know who this guy is. His name's Chris Renzema. He's an artist. He actually lives in Nashville. Um, he does. Uh, he he did a song with. He's one of my favorite artists right now. Um, he did a song with Ellie Holcomb. Okay. Just talking about um, Ebenezer and my wife and I. Mm-hmm. We we got to see Chris at the Ryman last year. Oh, that's cool. And Ellie came out. They sang the song. To, it's called "Just as Good," and it well, essentially what an Ebenezer is. It was the Israelites' way of of having these stones to remember. Hey, this is what God has done. This is a place to where God has showed up in my life, and I I will not forget. Yes, this. and that's exactly. So when you ask where what's my rock, it's all of there's a lot of little rocks leading to the rock. Wow. So that's good. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, yeah sorry, it's a lot. No, we're probably I, way over. We are not. I am not even getting to I half know. my questions. Like so questions there's gonna be a part two to this at some point. But that's how the best podcasts happen. So thank you, Jeff. And he's puffing away on this cigar. We're smoking some Monte Cristos tonight, and <laughs> I love Monte Cristos. I know. I want to pivot. You know, I I think we could do a whole podcast on ministry. I come from a ministry background. And I a little my background too is I. I come from a lot of, as you like to say, ministry. We'll, we'll use the word. It's we're in a podcast. Ministry shit. Yeah. And trauma. trauma. Yeah. And it's it's hard, especially when when you see broken people in the church hurt others. It's yeah. hard. Yeah. When, like I said, when you see how the sausage is made, you're like, mm, I'm not gonna eat sausage anymore. <laughs> right. right. You're like, ah. but I. I I think you made so many people on the podcast today feel seen because that's so many people's stories. And I love that you and your sister are doing this podcast. And I didn't even know this. I, I, I feel terrible. That's I feel fine. like a terrible host. Okay. Knowing I didn't that tell before. you about it. No, no it's I'm good. I'm a horrible promoter of my I mean, own podcast. Y'all just had John Deloney. This did. is a big deal. Yeah. So shout out to Deloney. We had, we've had John Deloney. We've had um, Darren from Conduit. Yes. Um, okay. We've had a few semi-known people here in middle tennessee uh, the bet my favorite one is we interviewed my dad and just her his story like it was a two-parter so it was fun just i'm gonna go listen to yeah, that you'll later. enjoy it it's fun especially if you're from ministry so. <laughs> but i know one of your passions uh, is obviously performing arts yeah. talk to me a little of your background there and like how 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 have you blended that just to connect with others and you oh, use oh. that uh, sorry no, go ahead you use that what just to connect with yeah. others. Like, you're so good at that, well, too. Well, like, so when I was in high school, no, when I was a kid, our church used to do this thing called the Singing Christmas Tree. And literally, we would rent out the Center for the Performing Arts in downtown San Jose, wow. which to me was like a big deal because, you know, yeah. you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> sure. And, but it was a big, I mean, it was a big Broadway-sized theater. Like, it had a full-on, you know, had fly system and the whole thing. And they would build the steel tree, and it was for the choir. We had a big choir at the church, and they would put all these sequence lights. And this is in the 80s, you know. But they would always do a show. 
they would do like these little vignettes. So the first act, it was sort of like, have you ever seen the Rockettes in New York City? Yeah. The first act is all like traditional Christmas music, like yeah. secular Christmas music. And the second act, they literally just do a nativity. They yeah. do yeah. like the whole birth of Jesus, camel's life. <laughs> yeah. So we did the same thing. Wow. Um, and so one year I got cast as the son in the storyline of this family. And like the dad loses his job. And it's sort of a very, like, it's a wonderful life. Like, everyone comes to George Bailey's help. Like, everyone's bringing gifts. And, like, the Christmas is saved because this man is such a good man that the community comes around him. And and throughout it, there's lots of Christmas carols. And so I just remember the feeling of being backstage and, like, having the costume. And we had makeup and all that fun stuff. And I just remember, like, this is so great. And so I, I, I sort of leaned into the arts. I was a musician. I played the trumpet, like, most of my youth. Uh, and I then, love that. Uh, yeah, that's I, awesome. I was, I was actually lead trumpet player my senior year. I got a scholarship for it and everything. It was no, no big deal. No big deal. deal. <laughs> yeah, I, I picked up a trumpet a few years ago, and I was like, oh, boy, I guess practice is important because I could barely play the thing. But um, I ended up being in the orchestra for our theater program at my high school. And it's so funny. It's a, just a parallel moment. Uh, the orchestra moment was, I was in the orchestra for Guys and Dolls. It's an old musical. It's from 1950. It's a golden age musical. Great little musical. It's about a bunch of like mobsters singing and dancing. It's just, it's a, it's the greatest, like just a little fun thing. Uh, there's a movie, Sinatra and Marlon Brando are in it. It's great. Uh, but anyway, uh, I remember thinking like, I want to perform. And so funny story is I'm, I'm always on tangents, but so like I said, lots of tributaries to this river. Um, there was a girl I liked, and she worked in the theater. She was like a stage manager, and it was high school. And so I go to find her in the theater this one day because I was like, I know she'll be in there. So I walk into the back of the theater. Now, the theater teacher, interestingly enough, was also the Bible teacher, and he happened to be my Bible teacher. I went to a Christian high school. And I walk into the back, and I don't know what – I don't know if I made a noise or the door, but everyone turns and looks at me, and his name was Ken Hill. And Ken goes, Jeff Martinez – do you want to be in a show? And I had been thinking about it. And I look at Ken and I look at this girl, Jen, and I look back at Ken and I see Jen, like, like almost like, and I'm like, what? this is going to get me the girl. <laughs> so I was like, sure. And so I got cast. Like I didn't even have to audition. Ended up playing Mr. Martini in the play version of It's a Wonderful Life, which I've mentioned multiple times. It's my favorite movie. One of my favorite movies. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, watch it. Me and, I, me and I've, I've only enjoyed parts of that movie. Okay. It's terrible. I have uh, not really enjoyed the full. Of- Come watch it with me and Josh Britt. Every Christmas, <laughs> our wives, Claire Britt and Clara Martinez, will figure out the date that Josh and I are going to sit down and watch It's a Wonderful Life. And the wow. two of us, this is how we became best friends here in Tennessee. We watched together the first time, and <laughs> the opening sequence comes on, and we're like, <gasps> <laughs> it's just we love it we love the story yeah. it's such a beautiful story anyway I'll school you on it later anyway so I'm in It's a Wonderful Life which is so random that that's the show the first show I was ever in and I got hooked and uh, theater is one of those things like if you can do it and it's and you're good at it and it's actually you, you it's like a bug you can't get rid of it so then I did the next show and then I did Oklahoma and then I went to college and I got into the choir because I was a singer, and I did choir for a year, and at the end of the year, I was uh, cast in uh, a one-act play wow. with a person who ended up becoming one of my best friends. Her name is Nina Davis. Um, she still lives in California. 
Um, and one of the musical directors for the theater program saw me in that play, and he approached me in the, in the cafeteria one day, and he said, you're funny. You have good timing. Will you come audition for my show? And I was like, sure. So I came, and it was Godspell, uh, which is a musical based on the book of Matthew, written by the same guy who wrote Wicked, wow. Stephen Schwartz. Okay. This is like his first musical. So we go on audition, and it's a weird audition because Godspell has a lot of improv in it. And so, like, at one point, we're all on all fours, acting like goats and sheep. Weird. <laughs> um, but there was another person at that audition, and her name was Clara Macaluso. And she was beautiful. She is beautiful. <laughs> um, but back then, she was, you know, I was a college student. I was like, <laughs> who's this girl? I fell in love instantly. Uh, well, a couple years later, she married me. So. Uh, but that was the moment I met Clara. So it's kind of theater has been kind of this theme in my life. But what it does, theater, uh, every show you do is like a family. And when I start, so I, I'm a director. I produce as well. I haven't produced a lot here in Tennessee. I did a lot of producing in California, theatrical productions. Uh, as a director, one of the things I say, especially when I'm doing children's productions, I said, opening the first rehearsal, I would say, You're, this is your new family. You're going to create memories here. And you're going to have connections here that you will never forget. You will hear a word, a song, and you will think of this show specifically. Because when you're in the rehearsal process, you repeat. You do a lot of repetitive, right? That's how you get – it's literally practice makes perfect with theater. And every show I've ever been in, I can distinctly remember something from it. And I can distinctly remember every single person that I did it with. Some better than others, but that community is so big yet so small. If you are in the theater community, everyone knows everyone. Yeah. Um, I, I, my daughter, who's a brilliant, and I'm not saying this as a father, I'm saying this as a, as a like a director and a critic. <laughs> my daughter is so stinking talented. She got into this really cool program this summer in New York City. She got to go out to New York City for five days, did a four-day intensive, met like a ton of Broadway stars. The lady who runs it, Leslie, yes. who was on Broadway, she was in Wicked herself. Oh, wow, I didn't know this. Oh, oh yeah, she's like a big old Broadway star. <laughs> anyway, Leslie, I went to her and I was like, because she came over for dinner when I first met her, when she first came, I was like, come for dinner, oh my gosh. We ended up sitting by the piano singing, you know, the whole thing, that's what theater people do. And I said, hey, my daughter got on this Broadway thing, and I said, I said the name of the lady who runs it. And she's like, oh, my gosh, she's one of my dearest friends. And, and that's just the theater community. It's just a small, small community. And there's just so much connection. So for me, theater allows people, A, to be vulnerable. One of the things I teach anytime I'm teaching students about theater is lose your inhibitions. And your inhibitions are not worrying about what anybody thinks of you, right? So when you watch a movie and somebody's being silly, like a Jack Black type character, right? Like he falls over, he's in the mud, or a, a Galifianakis type of character, yeah, right? right? Like just that's like, oh my gosh, that's so silly and stupid. Like he fell in the mud, or he gets slapped in the face. Like that's someone who's just open to losing their inhibitions, to being like open to just doing whatever they need to do for the character. But there's a real vulnerability to that. And that's why I think a lot of actors fall into drugs and alcohol and all that stuff because they, they're they losing their their vulnerability, and that's hard. Like, 
you're bearing yourself to the world. Here come Spring Hill Police. One time, one time a week. One time a week. There's a crime in Spring Hill. Tonight. It was probably <laughs> a teenager riding on an HOA lawn. Anyway, so like, yeah, that's the thing. Like, it's it's such a vulnerable place. So what happens in the rehearsal room is that you, especially when I'm working with teenagers and kids, there's a lot of trust transferred between the two parties, and. Over the past few years, since I've been here, I've been working with a company called CYT Nashville. CYT is a national company that franchises in cities all over America, but it's, it stands for Christian Youth Theater. And it's amazing the relationships that I have garnered with some uh, young men who have wonderful families, but maybe their dad doesn't really understand that part of them. I become that person and so I'm a they allow me in right and so there's a lot of trust and and then my kids were involved so they're all my kids friends now so like and now I've made them all 49 full circle they're all 49er fans now <laughs> get the theater kids to be 49ers oh, yeah, yeah. and that's the other thing like I think sometimes like theater has this like this like thing of like oh they're all like whatever you know what I'm talking about they're all this and but like these boys, like they love playing football and they like like working out and they're yeah. they're like guys. Like they like they enjoy what they enjoy. So now every Sunday, Thursday, Sunday night or whatever, Monday night, there's a text thread that just says football. And it's all theater guys that my son, my son has made friends awesome. with. I love and they this. and I just say, Hey, we're here if you want to watch. And they all show up, and on when the 49ers are playing, they all ask for a jersey because we have thousands of them in the in the house. And they all root for the Niners, which is amazing, which is really good, good year to be a 49ers fan. It's a good year too. to be a 49ers fan. But anyway, so like theater, it creates community, and I think it creates really beautiful community because of the vulnerability. When you take Christ out of it, the vulnerability can be used against you. Mm, how so? Um, gossip. Ooh. Yeah. So you have to be very intentional with it, especially in a Christian community. And so I'm very intentional with it. And I teach these young men that they can be amazing, talented performers and amazing God-fearing men as well. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. That's and the so girls, good. too. Like, confidence for young ladies. Like, a lot of girls that are in theater, are they lack in a lot of confidence, but they're very talented. And they walk in and they're... You know, the girls are like, and then you ask them to sing a song and they're like, Rah! and you're like, oh my gosh. And then all you have to do in that moment is encourage them and go, wow, that was amazing. You're so good. And they go, I'm not ugly, fat, stupid, not as pretty, not as skinny, not as whatever, not as blonde, not as brunette. Like all of a sudden that goes away because they really, they have a, a special talent, a God-given wow. talent. So you make them feel seen. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that too because my background is I, I was a sports guy growing up. But what's fun about me growing up, um, you and I have similar stories. I don't think we've ever really talked oh, about, right it. about it. Yeah. But I, I grew up with um, my brother and I we were football players. My, my parents are runners. So my dad's an ultra runner, okay. run, run 100 miles. Wow. He's got our golden doodle up to 30 plus miles. So. Crazy. He's, he's the true Iron Man. But something my mom said, she goes, you are going to learn a little bit 
of an instrument. Like, throw us into some kind of arts. And I was like, all right, I'll play drums. And I look back and I'm so thankful because there's a community there that I got to learn from, understand, and they're so fun. Yeah. And I don't quite understand to the level that you do. And so, and I appreciate that because I think sometimes people think, "Oh, the theater kids don't like football." Well, no, they no, do. They do. Trust they, me, they, they love it. You should hear. You should hear <laughs> us on a Sunday when the Niners are playing. We like football. And then I told you at in, at intermission. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's hockey. <laughs> they will come out here and throw a ball around so much so that we were in the car with one of Anthony's best buddies, who's a very talented uh, actor and singer. Uh, he goes, what are we going to do when the sun starts going down early? Like, halftime, it's going to be dark. And I ordered a glow football, which is That's sitting in the awesome. house right now. <laughs> I ordered a glow football for the boys. And they were like, oh, thanks, Mr. Jeff, thanks. And sure enough, this week on Sunday Night Football, they were all over here. And they were out here throwing the glow football around because they can see it. <laughs> so, Well, I want to ask a few more questions. I want to your time, too. I want to circle back for a second. I know you were talking about how you have the opportunity to meet with men who oftentimes, sometimes their dad doesn't always understand them, yeah. especially as theater kids. Like, Or their dad just wasn't there. Like Anthony's best buddy, uh, his dad divorced his mom when he was a boy, and his dad is just, he's not very present, and I'm Papa Jeff now. Speak to the dads for a second that are listening to this or how, how can you, how, how, what, what would be your fatherly advice to someone who they don't necessarily connect with their interests? So say like they love sports, they don't like theater, or maybe it's the opposite. They love theater and they don't love sports. Like what would be your advice there? Because you've found a way in a lot of ways to be a bridge and fill in that gap. And my relationship with my son is really beautiful. Like tonight's the night. He'll come home. He He's currently a sophomore in college. He commutes. So he'll get home around 8.30. And uh, every Wednesday night, we watch this guy on YouTube that predicts all the games. And we sit there and make bets. But, like, the fact that my 19-year-old son likes to spend time with me, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to brag, and I, I'm not trying to, but it says something about, you know, to Claire and I that we've done something right. Uh, hopefully, I think I am. Um, and I think back, what did I do? And again, my dad was very busy. Uh, my dad's story is very complicated. Uh, I referred to my grandparents. They're actually my great-grandparents who adopted my dad because his real parents kind of abandoned him. So my dad didn't have a good father figure. My grandpa was amazing, but he had also raised his own family already. And my dad was an add-on. Uh, my dad and his two sisters. And so he was very harsh. And so my dad, in turn, was very, he wasn't very harsh, but he, he could be. Um, and he didn't understand me. My dad was very, like, gruff, athletic, and I was very soft and artistic. And so great man. I love him. We have a wonderful relationship. We've reconciled anything that could have gone wrong. But when I had my, when when I found out we were having a boy, I went back to the Godfather. May your first child be a masculine child. I was like, yes, I did it. Michael Corley. With the cigar in your hand. Yeah, exactly. So, but like when Anthony was born, my son, like all I did was love him. I kissed him. 
I hugged him. I showed him affection, which I think fathers are scared of a little bit sometimes. Don't be afraid to be affectionate with your son. Um, what it does is it shows him a healthy relationship with a man um, that's safe. Um, I talk to him like an adult. Like, not like, you know, like, hey, what the hell are you doing? But like, you know, like, I talk to him like he was not a baby. Like, I had a conversation with him as a young man, as a kid, um, to the point that, like, we even had the birds and the bees conversation earlier than most people would. Um, probably eight years old, seven, eight years old. Uh, I went to a marriage conference, and there's this great speaker. His name's Jim Burns. He has a great children's book on how to talk to your kids about the birds and the bees. Look it up, Amazon, Jim Burns. Um, shout out. Um, but it helped me kind of talk to Anthony about that. And then by the time he was 12, um, there's this great story I can't tell publicly. I could tell you privately, but he, we were, we used to get haircuts once a month and, um, it would just be dad and Anthony time. We'd go to breakfast, get haircuts. And we were in the car and it was real quiet for a few minutes. And he just asked me like, what, what does this slang word mean? And he said it. And I was like, oh. I was like, oh my gosh. But I realized he was comfortable with talking to me about it. And since then, as a now he's a young man. I mean, he's 19. We talk about everything. And he knows that I care. He knows that I love. And those boys have seen that too. They know that I'm not going to judge them for the natural teenage mistakes they're going to make. I'm not going to be harsh with them. I may be honest with them that that's stupid and you shouldn't do that and you're being an idiot, but I love you. They already know the love is there. Um, so trying to understand. And with Anthony, he wanted to do sports, which I was fine with. Like, I love sports. I love football. I love baseball. Go Dodgers. Go Niners. I'm a weirdo. I don't know how I'm those two fans. <clears throat> but um, he played soccer. He played basketball. He played golf. He played baseball. He played football. And at the end of the day, he fell into love with uh, cinematic arts and theater which is basically me, which Apple doesn't fall far, but like I never discouraged him from that. When he did travel baseball, as hard as that was for me to go drive down to Alabama for a whole day tournament, I went and I supported him and I popped in the sunflower seeds and sat in the sun for 17 hours and watched my boy play baseball. And no matter how he did, when he got in the car, I said, great job today, boy. You did awesome, proud of you. And the same went for Ella too, but boys, Dads, love your boys. Love them like you love your girls. It is always going to be different, but they need the same amount of affection and concern and listening that your girls do. Don't let them just, don't teach them to be macho. Teach them to be men. And men love their wives. They respect their wives. And they respect each other. My best friends on the planet, the ones that all live here now, and the ones that I met here, like Josh Britt, Michael Reddish, we respect each other. We don't disrespect each other. We respect each other. And we have a healthy understanding of what it means to be friends and to be men who are friends. It's hugs. It's a big kiss on the cheek for a great accomplishment. There's nothing weird about it. There's nothing gay about it. It's just being a human being and understanding that like there is a mutual respect we have for each other and that's okay. So that's sort of my thank thing. Thank you. Wow. 
so many routes that I did not think we would go on this podcast. I didn't even get to half my questions tonight. So that we're definitely gonna have to have a part two. Um, and I mean that. I, I would love to have you on again at some point. Jeff. Anytime. This, my porch is this, always open. This is rich. Very rich. Very um you're a storyteller and I, I appreciate like being on the on the river with you. <laughs> the going down the river. No, it's good. I mean, I, just as we close out, because I, I, there's so many routes that I want to go with you at some point, especially with your story between. I mean, I feel like I feel like we only touched the surface. <laughs> we did. Of there's your a story. lot. There's always there's a deeper always story to the story. But I, I, I don't just say this, Jeff. I think you have made so many people feel seen with your story. And I, and I appreciate that because um, it's relatable, but it's real. And I think more than anything, I, I mean, I, I heard Dave say this on, on a podcast with gen z millennial because i mean this my, my heart for this podcast is for not only gen z millennial but gen z millennial men because so many men don't know how to have conversations like this yeah. and authenticity is a word that comes to mind and you just provided that so thank you yeah you have to be real you have to learn how to bear it out yeah. and but then ugh, this sounds so masculine i'm so sorry <laughs> but there's a part of bearing out your honest who you are that is manning up like real quick when I was in college my freshman year uh didn't know really anybody had a few friends there at, at the college I went to got into this choir it was a men's choir yeah. I met five other guys let me see if I can remember all their names Dave Jay John Scotty and Ace We call ourselves the bros. The way we connected the first time was like, hey, you guys want to go up to the the point? Which was like just this like we lived right by this big mountain range where, where our college was, uh, right in San Gabriel Valley, like San Gabriel Mountains. And there was this point where people would go up and, you know, do the thing. <laughs> we went up there and we were like, you want to go up there and like smoke cigars? And mind you, I'm a PK. So and. I was like yeah. Assembly of God PK, so like, <laughs> we didn't drink, smoke, or even talk to people who did. Yeah. First time I smoked a cigar was with the Bros. Nice. That those relationships were the most valuable relationships I've ever had, because it taught me how to be, how to man up. By being vulnerable. Wow. It was a. It was a. I mean, you saw the emotion that went over me just a minute ago, like. Those five guys taught me how to be a man. Mm. It was the first time I understood what it was to be a true guy. What did they teach you? They were all vulnerable. Ace lost his mom when he was like 12. Uh, Scotty, his family was effed up. Jay, his mom was single and his stepdad became like the father he never knew he needed. Uh Johnny was very similar to me in the sense that he had a kind of a normal family, but had grown up in the church and had a lot of church hurt. And Dave just kind of had a dysfunctional family, but didn't know it. And then I show up with my church hurt, my dad is pastor and all this stuff. And we just kind of allowed each other to be who we were. Like there was no, there was no rules. And then, you know, we bullshit each other and like, be like, you know, we 
give each other shit, you know. <laughs> One time we were at a golf course and Scotty had to take a shit. And so he went into the sand trap and took a shit in the sand trap <laughs> and wiped his ass with a sock and left it there. So, like, we were still teenage guys. We were still college guys. Like, don't get me wrong, you know. But, like, there was just such a vulnerability to us sharing our stories. Like, I remember all of us crying at one point about something in our past. And it just, it taught me to just be like, oh, this is what living is. This is what being a real human being is. This is probably how the disciples had a conversation around a fire when Jesus was sleeping. You know, The Chosen's done really well at telling the story of the disciples and like how they were real guys who struggled with stuff. You know, Peter hates Matthew, you know, that, that whole thing. Like, but then they become friends and there's a lot of that that happens in those moments. So find your tribe and, and don't be afraid to be vulnerable. And if they're not willing to find a new tribe, if you can't be vulnerable with the people that you call your tribe, then they're not your tribe. They're not your people. They're not the ones that you can go to and say, hey, man, I'm struggling, you know, or our wives talk and the husband texts me and says, what's going on, bro? And I go, oh, yeah, here's what's going on. I should have, I should, we should have got a cigar. That's usually how it goes. We should have had a cigar sooner. So, yeah. Well, I think that's a great way to finish tonight. And um, I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll leave it up for you. I mean, do you have any last words of encouragement just for anyone listening uh, be yourself quit hiding behind whatever thing that makes you feel like you're important or something like just drop the guard be vulnerable that's how you make real friendships like the guys I played poker with the other night that I mentioned like they've been one of the guys I've known for 25 years. Um, one of the guys I walked through a divorce with him, not me, him. And uh, his ex-wife came to me, even though I was in her camp at the time. She said, don't let him go. And I didn't. And now to this day, he is, he is literally my best friend on the planet. And he lives about five minutes away, which is such a blessing. Uh, another one, their marriage had some issues and he fought for his marriage so find those guys it's so important it's what sustains you when you're struggling somebody talks about 2am friends make sure you have a good group you shouldn't just have one you should i think deloney talks about 2am friends make sure you have like six or seven 2am friends that you know if you if he can't do it he can do it if he can't do it he can do it that's what i would say but that only comes from final word vulnerability thank you cheers Jeff thank you so much for being on the podcast such a powerful episode and I know that your story will continue to resonate with so many especially those who have a ministry background and I encourage you to check out Jeff and his sister's podcast and attach that in the notes below they even interviewed john deloney and and shout out to john deloney in his new book I, I think you guys will love that interview so i will attach that below and thank you so much for listening today to you the listener we could not do this without you we are growing the show because of you so if you continue to share with a friend rate and review it that will help us out as we're growing the show and until next time we will see you on the four c's podcast